0: And notes are there if you just click on events and find Reservoir Church. And uh, you can go or you can just sit and listen and hear the word. Um,
1: Luke 22. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we be struck with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. you also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy. Who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him blaspheming him Lord we thank you for this word lord even though it's it's hard to to hear and absorb lord we we thank you for your sacrifice lord we thank you for all you endured on our behalf and Lord we pray and ask that um you would bless Jonathan today as he teaches to us from this word and we pray that it would um Strengthen our spirits, Lord, and our allegiance to you, Lord, and we just pray for your spirit to be among us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Chris. So surrender is the remedy to the temptation to deny Jesus. You are going to live with the temptation to deny Jesus, and the remedy for it is Surrender. I'm going to start this morning talking about trust falls. And I talk about them often. I think it's like my favorite sermon illustration of doing trust falls. And it, it came up again yesterday as we were at the Bernals at the United CP walk. And Little Goose was falling on his dad. And his dad was making a joke about it being a trust fall and not ca- catching him. Right? Uh, but the idea of trust falls, where did they come about? It was like a, a 90s team building exercise how many of you have ever had to do a trust fall in the workplace? Yeah? Really? Not the workplace, Not the workplace but in well, life. Bill does, does things. Yeah, things. Bill does it every week just to make sure you know he's still there. Just <laughs> fall. <laughs> but you know what it is, right? You line up the coworkers, and there's like two lines of interlocking arms that are supposed to be there to catch. And then you have one person on top of their chair or something. And you have them close their eyes and just fall and trust that they will be caught by this cradle of arms formed by their coworkers. And it is meant to be symbolic of that sentiment that like this team has your back. We will catch you. We are in this together, right? That's the feeling you're supposed to get from a trust fall. And we've all seen the memes of coworkers letting the fallen hit the ground or where the person falls forward instead of backwards. Even yesterday I saw a reel where a dog was to catch his human, and it's like, obviously the dog was squished. And so it's funny, you didn't see the squishing. Um, but we get it, it's like so ingrained like in our cultural mentality, this idea of trust falls. And we do these silly things because we know overall that trust is good. Trust is an important thing for us. Because when we trust in the right team, the right strategy, and the right savior, it is good for us and for our flourishing, right? and in trust there is an aspect of surrender of letting go of falling into their arms of knowing that you'll be ca- caught that you'll be cared for and in, in our text today we see two we see some bold actions that are essentially just exposing exposing the temptation away from trust it's like to ruin the idea of a trust fall. And it happens to be a temptation to denial. And it's denying Jesus himself and then denying him to others. And the remedy that is in the text and in our lives is surrender. Learning to fall and that you will be caught. Right? So just a little bit of context on The text that we're in this morning as we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke, we're nearing the end. We'll get through the month of November and then have a season of reflection as a church into December. But from the upper room conversation, the institution of the Lord's Supper, that emotional scene where Jesus is talking about his body and his blood, where Jesus as the servant has washed the feet we know from other gospel accounts of his disciples, they've been singing hymns together. And from that moment, then Jesus in the apostles head to the garden to pray. Luke tells us, as was his custom. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation and they will say it again because the emotionally drained and wine-filled disciples end up falling asleep. Right? He comes from his moment of prayer, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. They're emotionally exhausted. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And there have already been in Luke's gospel a number of calls to stay awake in prayer, to be mindful, to maintain a readiness as God's people, to be active in their faith. And here, this call of awareness and readiness is to avoid temptation. So we have to ask, like, well, the temptation to what? What are, what are they being tempted to in this, mo- this moment? And we have to just start with the reality that everything applies. When it comes to to this prayer of avoiding temptation. But in the context, we might think that uh, it should just be to avoid the temptation to sleep. At least that first call. But given the situation or how the story plays out, it seems more that it is a temptation to leave. A temptation to turn away from Jesus. The one they have followed for these years. That they have heard declare the words of life and hope. And it goes back to that meal, remember, when Jesus says to the group, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, and the you there is plural, so it's all of them, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, what? Strengthen your brothers. And though they pray, and though Jesus prayed, they still took the bait. And like them, we are tempted to deny Jesus, but there is a remedy for us. Before we get to that remedy, however, we want to see the two ways of denial that are in this story. And they're both ultimately just a rejection of Jesus. It's what we want to pray that we won't enter into. So first, we're tempted to deny his way. Now, while Jesus is speaking and calling his apostles, these disciples, to pray that they wouldn't fall into temptation, a, a crowd comes with swords and torches, and they are looking for Jesus. And you kind of think of the image of like the villagers on the hunt for the vampires in the night, right? Like, that's what's going on. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. They're in a garden space, and here comes this crowd on the hunt for Jesus. And Judas, one of the twelves, had has led them there. He's brought them. It was Jesus' customary place to pray. So Judas would have known that this is where Jesus would go. And the betrayer then draws near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And... I think this is a tremendously weird situation, but this is essentially just like a faux affection painting over rejection. This is denying Jesus to his face. He had called Judas to follow him, and he was there for all of the ministry, all of the healing and feeding. He was close to Jesus. He's in the inner circle. Betrayal sucks. Can I say, I don't, I don't need permission to say it. I said it already, right? But many of us know the feeling of betrayal. If you spend enough time, like you, hopefully you've tried to categorize it away or you've sought some help with a counselor to get rid of those feelings of betrayal. But when a friend, a loved one, a coworker, somebody turns on you and you, you think back, well, what about the trust fall we did? You betrayed me. I was uh, maybe by the Spirit, maybe by an unhealed wound, a remembered uh, a moment of betrayal this week that happened to me. And it happened in ministry. And don't worry, it wasn't at Reservoir. Um, and it was fairly innocuous, but it stung. And it like changed the trajectory of partnership because... We had this couple, that they were friends, they were partners in ministry. We'd enjoyed each other's company socially like they had, on a Friday night, had been to our home for a meal with Stacy and I. And then on a Monday, there's this fateful meeting. And this one individual in the meeting accused me, as a new ministry leader, of lying to the team. And you should know I had not lied to the team. It was an attempt by them to win over others, and they just took the opportunity to stab me in the back. And and that's what it felt like. And It was public, and it was like, et tu, Brute, right? You're coming after me because something's changed. And from that moment, like, it hurt. There was, like, un- like, we just didn't know the path forward even. And that relationship was never really repaired. The spouse tried to repent for them. That's always the worst, right? Like, the one who betrayed you is not repentant, but their spouse knows they should be. Oh, get some extra counseling. <laughs> but I never felt like I could trust them again. I was blindsided in that moment. And I felt horrible. And you should know that Stacy in that moment was ready to fight. And I asked her this way, like, do you remember? She's like, Well, I don't remember the situation. Which is like, and she's like, I'm so thankful I don't have a good memory. Yet. I don't have to. She just cares, it's just woo-woo-woo. She's perfect for ministry. <laughs> you know, stuff doesn't stick with you. But on a far more cosmic scale, Judas loves Jesus in this betrayal. Right? He's there to kiss him. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, but I think he should be murdered. It's essentially what Judas is communicating to those around. And we have to ask, what was it? Like of all the time I've reflected on Judas and his betrayal and heard the story of it leading up to Good Friday and Easter. I've never really thought through like, what was Judas thinking? Maybe Jesus' generosity was too much. Maybe it was the elevating of the poor or the disabled or the foreigner that Judas just could not take finally. But whatever it was, by making a deal with those that were seeking to have Jesus killed, Judas is agreeing that what Jesus was preaching was dangerous and that his way was wrong. And there's points for boldness to Judas. Like this is... This is the one who's declared to be the son of man, the great I am, and you're going to betray him. This betrayal leads to ruin. It doesn't end good for Judas. Some people argue, well, Judas was saved. Like, Judas was not. He rejected Christ. But when we look at the story, we have to realize he wasn't the only one to deny the way of Jesus that night. In that moment. Because all of the disciples fell for Satan's temptation too. And this reaches back to what we read last week, remember, where Jesus was making mention to his disciples of preparing for a long journey for life ahead. And he's saying the sojourner should buy a sword. So he's just like tapping into the historic reality of what you would tell somebody for a long journey. And the disciples are all like, hey, we have two swords. Will that cut it? Is that, is that enough for the rebellion and the revolt? And Jesus responds, it is enough, right? And and Jackie read it really innocuously like that, or like very, it is enough, you know, like as if, but there's more gravel to what Jesus said. And it was fascinating because the footnote, at least in the ESV to that, that is enough, leads back to Deuteronomy um, and the story of Moses being kept from going into the land. It's the exact same language used in Deuteronomy 326. And this is Moses conveying to the people what's happening. He says, but the Lord, Yahweh, was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. It's exactly what Jesus is saying about the swords. Like, get it out of your head that we're going to war. Like, I've been preaching about giving up yourself, loving your enemy. It is not the sword we are to pick up. So that's the exact vibe that they have at this moment. And then back in the garden, the crowd comes, Judas comes in for a kiss, and the disciples ask him what? Lord, should we take up the sword? Should we strike with the sword? And before he can answer the question, though, Peter, which we know from other accounts, he's the man of action. Because he slices his Malchus's ear in this temple guard and cuts it off. There's a lot of stories like, well, was he wearing a helmet and Peter hit at the top of his head and it slid down? Is Peter just a bad aim like a Star Wars trooper? Or, But we can only imagine what's going through their minds, right? Because this was their moment. War was finally going to break out. They were finally going to work to redeem Israel. The Messiah was really going to ride in now and win this battle. Here's the key for us, that they should have known from ministry with him that slicing heads does not smell like Jesus. You're supposed to amen, Dave. Like amen. I gave you, like, I told my men's Bible study, I'm going to say this one line, and that's the only time I want you to amen the whole sermon. <laughs> <laughs> There's grace for you, brother. Practice. practice. There's practice. Right? Slicing heads doesn't smell like Jesus. There is, like... Like We're not meant for that. That's not what he's called us to. You might hear that and you say, yeah, 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 but he whipped those people in the temple that one time, remember? Yeah, he whipped those that would corrupt what was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations by oppressing the poor and restricting ethnic minorities from coming in. Like If if you want to whip those people, please be for justice in that way. But don't use it as an excuse to wield the sword in Jesus' name. Because he won't let you. The reality is we're never going to. We just don't ever own up to being a Judas. But man, do we get Jesus's way wrong all the time. Because we demand men of action, right? That would finally make things right. If we just fought back. If we took power. If we hated our enemies. If we prioritized ourselves over our neighbors. It would be better. We say and this reality works out in myriad ways. And friends, we are all guilty of it. Missing the point of what Jesus calls his people to is a denial of his way. And when Jesus finally does answer, he says, no more of this. And he touches the ear and heals him. Even so, in this moment, the chief priests, the officers of the temple, the elders, seize Jesus and take him away. And he says that this was their hour in the power of darkness. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's a temptation to deny the way of Jesus. But there's also this reality that we are tempted to deny Jesus. All of the disciples bail in this moment, except one. And Peter follows at a distance, Luke tells us. And this is the same Peter that, previously in the meal, said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. The sword-wielding, now fearful Peter. And I, I don't want to rag on Peter much. You should know he's my favorite of the apostles. But just think of like what he's experiencing at this moment. Like Take his emotional inventory and say, how should he respond? His leader has been captured. He is confused as to what is happening. He's trying to remember the old scripture, but not sure how it all plays out. And now he is alone in this moment. But he still has the inclination to be close to Jesus. So he follows. And his his life story actually gives us tremendous hope. It doesn't seem like it from this text. But he will be restored. He will three times commit to love and shepherding God's people. And he ends up being a humbled brute giving his life for Christ and his kingdom. Beautiful story of redemption. Here... He falls for the temptation to not to deny Jesus before others, And he sits around the fire to get warm in the night and a girl recognizes him and says, you're you're one of them. You're with Jesus. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. It's so easy in that moment. He's not going to see these people again. There's no foul in staying under the radar. Right. In that situation. Luke tells us, then a little later, someone else saw him. You are one of them. He says, man, I am not. Then an hour after that, still another insisted that he was with him, for he is a Galilean too. He says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. It's as if the world paused at that moment. Think of it from Peter's perspective. And some of you have heard me talk in different settings about listening to bird song as just a reminder of God's presence. So that anytime I hear hear birds singing, I'm to think God is here. God is with me. And in our neighborhood, that includes a rooster or two. As Melanie can tell you, she was at lunch last week and she said, is that a rooster? I'm like, oh yeah, they have ducks occasionally too. And so now I've learned when I hear the rooster, there's this voice that says, don't deny me. And the Lord looked, turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And it's devastating. Jesus in Matthew's gospel, as he's telling his disciples about going out and then as they're coming back and he's recounting what's going to happen... He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is significant. Peter heard that. He was sure he would never deny him. This is the one he wants to go to prison with or die for and he denies it. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And friends, I don't think it's a look of judgment. Like maybe you, you read that or you hear that and you think like Jesus is scowling. Jesus does not scowl at you. I think it's just a look of confirmation of even forgiveness in that moment. And I get the temptation. Like I feel for Peter. And Maybe, maybe you've had this happen to you too. Like I've had friends, people I love... Tell me that I preach hate. I've been in plenty of settings where my words and actions by those things, I could in effect deny Jesus and just act like I don't know him. Well, he's not God, surely. He didn't really rise from the dead. These things that Christians to declare to be true. Well, it's just myth. We do it in little ways to avoid ruffled feathers, to keep getting invited to the right settings, to be accepted. And then we just deny him before others. We end up joining the mockers, blaspheming our God. And he, Peter, went out and wept bitterly. Some denial leads to destruction. Right? Judas dies, but some li- denial leads to repentance, like it does for Peter. Oh, and Peter dies, but having lived for Jesus. So it's just a reality for us that temptation will come. Pray that you might not fall into temptation. Before Peter and for us, there is a remedy to this temptation. And surrender is the remedy. Because just before the betrayal and the denial, Jesus in the garden, just a stone throw from his disciples on purpose so they could hear what he is praying, says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. I think it was Jesus' custom to come to this place to pray because he knew he would be praying there on that night. And he he knows, he's been anticipating it for all of eternity, the coming hours of separation from the Father, the torture, the death. One writer says, Jesus knew that the death is the wages of sin. That he would pay the total wages in full. He also knew that death is a result of the judgment of God and that he would bear that judgment. He knew that he would become sin. He knew that death would bring on him the wrath of God and that he would propitiate it in full. He would fully meet that wrath. And that's why Jesus was filled with such unremitting dread in this moment. This is why he's so fearful. This is why he could well have died before even going to the cross. And we'll never know the weight of this, you guys. Because he took on the weight for us. And it's fascinating to me. An angel comes and ministers to him. He strengthens him, Luke writes, right? But then he's still in agony as he prays. He's drenched in sweat. He's in anguish because of what he's about to face. Our Saturday men's Bible study last week, we read Psalm 6. And it like fits perfectly with the sense of what's going on in Jesus at this moment. And, oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O oh Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O oh Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O oh Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of great grief. It grows weak because of all of my foe. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, there's such a heavy word in this story. He's saying that all that is opposite isn't worth denying you. And Jesus gives us an example this is his trust fall which doesn't even go fully into the reality of the trust of the will of the Father, to face temptation and say, not my will, but yours be done. And he gives us an example of how we are to do that, because his way is better. There will be turmoil and agony, but there is also life, the kingdom, and eternity that is far better. But more than an example for us, I don't want you to be confused that it's your surrender that's the remedy. It's his surrender that is our remedy to temptation. Because he took on the shame, the mocking, the beating that we deserve. Because he gave his body, his blood to make us righteous. Because he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He took on all the betrayal, all of the denial for you. One old poem says... Who every grief hath known that rings the human breast and takes and bears them for his own, that all in him may rest. When we miss the mark of his way, he invites us back. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers and sisters. When we deny him to a watching world, he looks on us with compassion and he calls on us to be restored. And restoration is real because he surrendered all of himself for us. One commentary says, God cares most about our hearts, and even when we fail out of fear and rebellion, he restores us out of his abundant grace. When we understand God properly in this way, it creates in us a freedom to be honest and open about our weaknesses and failures, which is precisely the humility needed to approach God. Our acceptance of God's acceptance of us, free from condemnation because of Christ, woos and draws us near to God and frees us from shame and fear his sacrifice his surrender is our remedy and it emboldens us against the temptations that come our way Because Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father, we can learn to surrender to his will for our lives and trust him with all of it. And we will fall. But in getting back up and learning to trust again is where we are actually transformed, where we learn to surrender to his way. We are made like him. Longer quote from C.S. Lewis is mere Christianity, and he says, "Though our feelings come and go, His love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we should be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to Him." He warned people to count the cost before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says, "If you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what." You are in for nothing less or other than that. You have free will. And if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I am going to see this job through whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me. I will never rest nor let you rest until you are literally perfect. This I can do and will do, but I will do nothing So are you up for learning to surrender together as a family, trusting Jesus his way? Because surrender is the remedy to the temptation to deny Jesus. So in response, just the exhortation to claim his surrender for yourself. You know that his finished work was for your forgiveness, for your righteousness. That you were to be made his once and for all. And then just go on surrendering. Trust him in his way. Keep looking at the glory of Christ until you see it and live. Jesus has called a family to himself. A team of co-workers that can only catch each other because he has caught us. Surrender is the way for his glory and for our good. Let's go. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are far better than the words of any man or woman can express. We think of this moment in the story of your ministry of betrayal and denial of the denial of your way and the denial of you before others. And it's still you're gracious. You're gracious to the disciples who all fled and weren't there. You're gracious to Peter as he denies you as you prophetically spoke the truth that he would. You bring restoration and healing and then purpose to each and every one of them to proclaim your goodness And even that declaration from Peter that he would go to prison or die with you becomes a reality in both aspects, that he will be imprisoned and he will be martyred because he declares you. Lord, we're not in a season of much martyrdom in our environment, but we are prone to the temptation to deny you. And all the more, Holy Spirit, we ask for a reminder of Christ's surrender and an increased grace of that confidence to cling with surrender and trust into the way of Jesus, of his name, of his goodness, before all who will see, before all who will ask, before all who will watch us, that your name will be lifted high. Jesus, we thank you. Some of us may feel a weight of grief in this place this morning. Maybe we've turned down the opportunity to profess faith in you. Or maybe we've caught ourselves tempted to deny you before others. Lord, with repentant hearts, we come and we receive your grace, your absolution for those sins that... We're never going to ask you for that sin back and you don't intend to give it back to us. We are free in you by your blood, by your body, broken for us. Give us the peace and assurance of that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.